Welcome to Actors Talk. This is episode 60, and we'll be talking all about being an authentic actor. What does that mean, and how do we achieve that goal of being an authentic actor? I can think of no greater guest to have to talk about that than Michael Laskin, actor, teacher, and now author of what I think is a fantastic new book called The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. Michael Laskin coming up on episode 60 of Actors Talk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 60 of Actors Talk Podcast. Before I uh, say a little bit more about Michael Laskin and this fantastic book, The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself, I want to ask you to stick around through the interview and the end notes. I'll be talking a little bit about something really special. I don't want to talk about it up front here to color the uh, entrance into this interview because the interview is so good. I really enjoyed talking with Michael Laskin. And I think you're going to enjoy a lot of the things he has to say. Were you trained in the theater? And have you always heard about the differences in theater acting and film and television acting? And maybe you had some difficulties or challenges in transitioning from being a theater actor into television and film. Or maybe you're just now undertaking that and you want to know, well, what's, what's that like? Are there issues? Are there things I need to work on? Well, we'll talk about that in this interview with Michael Laskin, the authentic actor, the art and business of being yourself. So just a little bit of background on Michael, and I'll get right to the interview. And then, as I say, please stick with me on the other side, because I have something kind of special I want to talk about just briefly. Michael Laskin came to acting in a little bit different way than many of the people that I have interviewed for the show. Now, some of us actors and other artists that I speak with or know, we know from a very early age that we want to act or write stories or play music or pursue other creative endeavors. But sometimes it's others who see something in us that we might not yet see in ourselves that kind of puts us on a path. I found out that Michael is a Minnesota kid who was a good student. He really had no aspirations to become a professional actor, at least not until in his high school years and not until his high school guidance counselor planted that seed in his mind that acting was something he could study and just maybe do well. So he moved on from high school and went to Northwestern. What a wonderful school that is for not only theater, but many other pursuits. And that was part of his reasoning was that, well, if the theater and acting thing turned out to be something he didn't really want to pursue, he'd be at a university where he could have a lot of other options. But the theater thing sort of took and he was quite good at it after uh, university he moved to minneapolis became immersed in the regional theater scene he was in the company at the guthrie theater no small feat there for many years he worked in seattle louisville off broadway for 10 or 11 years he talks in the interview about sometimes doing 40 45 weeks a year as an actor that that sounds like heaven in some ways, especially if you've been unemployed or you're trying to get work, but it also can be a, a kind of a grind doing that many weeks a year, and, and he, he discusses that. And then in 1983, Michael and his wife decided to move to Los Angeles, and with that background, we pick up the interview where I'm asking Michael about what precipitated the move away from a very successful career in regional theater into the film and television world 
in Los Angeles. So my interview with Michael Laskin, uh, author, actor, teacher, writer of this terrific book, The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. What made you decide to switch gears there from a theater background yes. to moving into to film and television? Well, I think it was, uh, it's a number of things, but I think what happens is after, I, I knew I was not going to be content being a regional, regionally based actor. Uh, I had done a play out here in LA that was very successful, and uh, my wife at the time, and still my wife, amazingly, really thought that L.A. was the place for us to be, and I think she was right. So I came out here. I had done so much theater, Tommy. I had done years when I worked 40 or 45 weeks on stage, eight shows a week. So I was, wow. yeah, that gets to be like assembly line work after a while, and uh, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot from it, but I wanted, some, I wanted a new challenge and uh, knew that, you know, if for some reason it didn't feel right or it, or it didn't work out in any way that I could certainly uh, change those plans. So I take it there that you didn't have any kind of a, a mentor growing up as, as a young person, a family member or someone like that who had been in the business? No, no, none of, none of that. I, I was an outlier in my family in a way, uh, and uh, they were totally supportive and great about it. But I just, it never occurred to me that that's something one could do. And he... He had just, um, this is in the, I graduated high school in 1969, so it's, you know. We went you're, to you're a year behind me. Yeah, we went to school in covered wagons, if you remember. <laughs> but I, he had just been, I think, out to Brandeis or something, and had, as a counselor, in his, in his um, capacity as a counselor, and had seen they were doing a big push in the theater department or something, and he said, well, you could, you could do that. And I was, I was a very good student. I could have done anything, but he, he put that in my brain, and that, that's, I blame him. Well, did, not, did that sort of make sense to you? I mean, did that click something in you that, yeah, that, I, that had been any, dormant or something that you didn't even know was there? I don't know. There wasn't anything else I really felt excited about doing. I came from, come from a very, I would say, conventional sort of family. So it seemed like an interesting thing to pursue. I also chose Northwestern because I also felt that if I, for some reason, that didn't feel right, I was still at a great university with lots of other areas that one could pursue and, and uh so yeah that was yeah, it and I, and I graduated right at the time when there was this really burgeoning movement of regional theater there every year there were new theaters opening and it was a and new plays being done and it was an exciting time to do that and it was um you know it was a, a great time in my life so what years but, were you in the regional theater what sort of where was that what i was in I was in regional theater really from the kind of the early, almost the early 70s through the early 80s. And uh, I, as I say, I worked all over in not only Louisville and Seattle and Minneapolis, extensively in Minneapolis, but Chicago. I did a play in London. I did a, I did a play off Broadway. I, I did a play at the Edinburgh Festival that won the Fringe First Award. And uh, I, the same play that won the award in Edinburgh is what brought us out to L.A. And that was and what? What was the play? It, it was a play called The Basement Tapes, and it was okay. about uh, Richard Nixon. And it was a political satire, and it was happening. We did it as it was happening, and it was 
pretty cool. Very yeah, current. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. Well, we have something in common, not, 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 the extensive nature of your experience, but I started as a lot of actors start in theater, whether it's college or whatever. I started in regional theater as well at the Dallas theater center in the, in the late seventies and, and was there at just a, a great time uh, for the, the Preston Jones uh, Texas trilogy plays and all that. Well, uh, yeah. Business, and I did, so. I did two productions of uh, Knights of the White Magnolia. Oh, awesome. Oh, we'll see. In we, Minneapolis. we have even more in common then. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Yeah, those were those were were great times indeed. Okay, so you come out to to California. Was there a transition time and any transition difficulty for you moving from the theater into television and film work, or did you make that rather seamlessly? No, it was it was it's a different for me. It was a difficult transition, and um, that's in some way that has informed my teaching, probably in a large way, and and the book that I wrote. But uh, it was. Um, I thought that I, I, I've got, I had a lot of success very early. I got lucky that one of the few people I knew was on the writing staff of Hill Street Blues. I didn't even know that's what he was doing. And he, was, he, helped, me, he helped me get an agent, et cetera, et cetera. And I started working fairly. Within six weeks of landing in L.A., I had an agent had my first job. But um, my first, I was I was terrible at my first job. I was I saw it on TV and I was just mortified. <laughs> and I thought, well, I've uprooted my wife and myself. We've moved. We've we've staked our claim. We put a planted a flag in the ground, and here I am. And I suck. I'm not very good at this. And I really thought I was a very good actor, and I think I I was on stage. But I that pivot from stage to screen was a challenge and. I was very fortunate that I did a recurring role on a show called Crazy Like a Fox with uh, Jack Warden. Sure, one of my favorites, yeah. And Jack kind of, I, I won't say, I don't know that Jack consciously took me under his wing, but Jack was was really great. And I, wa I just watched him. I, I said, oh, okay, so he's he's the same guy I'm talking to in my chair off the set as, as he is on the set. There's absolutely no, it's seamless. He has kind of mastered the art of completely being himself, but still doing all the things that one has to do uh, to be a good actor, to have you know some sort of strategy within within the scene you're playing. And um, so I was lu very lucky. I've always been lucky. I've always been lucky to be around what I who I consider to be great people. Who you know some that's some of that's a lot of that's just you're in the right place at the right time. So I learned a lot just going to school on people like Jack and, and several others. The long way of answering your question was it's an e it was not an easy transition for me, and I was motivated by humiliation. <laughs> I, absolutely, that, that, that can be a, that can be a good motivator. You bet. What was <laughs> what were the biggest challenges that you had to uh, get around or overcome in making that transition? What were the difficulties you were encountering there? Well, I think that, and, and, and this is, now we're getting to the heart of what my book is about. The book is called The Authentic Actor. It's a great book. I love this book oh, a lot. Oh, thank you. Oh, it, and we'll get into the reasons why, I hope, as we talk along. But so with this question got to the heart of the book, or of the matter, so sorry to It is, yeah. because I think that acting in the theater, which was my background, and most acting training, even if it's in New York or LA, and it's it's the the Mount Rushmore of acting teachers, you know Stella Adler and and uh, Lee Strasberg and Sanford Meisner and all of that. Uh, nothing to take 
nothing away from them. Those are seminal ideas from 1938. That's the issue. And I think people are still kind of wedded to that old dogma. And that dogma teaches the actor to do, not to be. It's about what can you do, not who you are. And I found out very quickly watching people who were successful in film and television who's, who sometimes, you know, you may have experienced this. You, you might even look down your nose at somebody. Well, he's not very good, but God, he's booking everything. What is he doing? And the, th <laughs> and the thing is, he's not doing anything. He's just, he's, he's disabusing himself of the notion that he has to pretend to be somebody else. He's just playing everything as himself. And if that self that you present is examined and interesting, if your worldview is clear and interesting, that kind of trumps talent a lot. Also, the big thing was that you get here, and you know this from your own experience, I'm sure, everybody's talented. There's a lot of very talented people. So talent's kind of off the table. It's not like the most talented person gets the job. Yeah, I think you say frequently in your book, talent is the price of admission. Yeah, it's, you know, I was just staggered by how many extremely talented people there were and, and still are. And so then the determinant of your success, however, you know, one defines that, is something else. And it usually has to do with some personal indelibility, some instant reaction that people have to you, not to the part you're playing, but to you. That's a very hard concept to teach. You, you actually can't teach that. But what you can do is open people's eyes to it. And when I started, when I got the opportunity to teach, I had a tremendous disdain for acting classes. I had been in a few that I just thought were horrible and they're either taught by people who never did it professionally or people who are casting directors or people who are gurus and, and require that you worship them and the class becomes more about them than it does about the students. And when I got the opportunity, I thought, well, maybe this doesn't have to suck. Maybe there's a way I could design a class that I would have enjoyed going to. And it had to do with this notion of who you are married up to what you know and what you can do. And I, do, I didn't see anyone else doing that. So I thought, well, I'm not going to do this unless I have something, what I consider something to be somewhat original to contribute or some new thinking on it. And so that's, that was the genesis of how I started to teach. And it just morphed into this book. And uh, it's been great. It's been, frankly, one of the most satisfying creative parts of my life. Awesome. What, how long have you been teaching? Five years. Only five years. Now, I yeah. would have thought it was much longer than that. No, no. I've been teaching only five years, and uh, it was that's a, a kind of a long, boring story, but I kind of got tricked into it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and and uh, I just thought it was bogus. I thought, well, there's no point to teach. You know, I've said this a lot to my class, and I said, you know, the acting is is the is there's no great mystery to it, really. There's no there's magic to it sometimes, but any you know when you were four years old, you knew how to do this. When you were four years old, you put on a Power Ranger hat and you ran around the house and you pretended to be something you weren't, and you threw yourself into an adventure. That's not the hard part. the The hard part is losing touch with that sense of imagination. Um, the The hard part is just how do you maintain your confidence, your your forward motion in in the face of just a constant barrage of people saying no to you for any possible reason they can think of. And that's, you know, that's, I think, 
I think the book might be a little bit on the life coachy side, but I think that's required if you're going to do this professionally. I think it's, I feel like that's a big part of what I do is to not only teach acting, but to mentor actors. Well, I think that's really important, but it's difficult to find a mentor. I was lucky to find a great mentor in Los Angeles, and I'm glad that you're, you know, you have that in you. Who was that for you, Tommy? Gregory Walcott. Mm-hmm. Greg had a, probably a 50-year career and was in a lot of movies. With He was one of Eastwood's regulars. He was in cool. and a lot. and did every cowboy show. Of course, he was very successful during the TV years when the um, Bonanza and all those shows were, sure. were on. He was a regular on all those and, you know, did films all over the world. And is just the nicest guy in the world. We became great friends, and he's a friend to this day. But he helped me in ways that I can't even imagine anyone else having done. Took me to auditions, introduced me to people, you know, all kinds of things like that. So mentorship is something that I truly believe in. To just piggyback onto your point, it is very rare. I, I didn't have a mentor. And um, it because it's this this pursuit is by nature a little bit territorial. I've got my little piece of the pie, and I worked really hard to get that. Yep. And it's it's. I, I just felt like I don't, I don't. I mean, I'm not Mother Teresa here. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I felt like it was like the right thing to do. I really couldn't figure out any other way to do it. Yeah. I so consequently, I keep my classes small. I'm. As, as needed, involved with people during the week. I just helped an actor today in my class who I believe very deeply in as a talent, uh, introduced him to an agent I know. And I do that kind of thing, but it's, you know, it's, I, I do think it's really important. And yeah. I probably do, do it because no one did it for me. And I feel like I, it would have been great had I had that. Well, so. I respect, I respect you for doing that. And just to remind the listener, I'm speaking with Michael Laskin actor, teacher, and the author of The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. Let me ask you this, Michael, in your in your classes, well, you've been teaching for five years, so maybe it's a, a more limited frame of reference, but are there some common things that actors bring to you as challenges that they need to overcome that are that are common that maybe we could share with the listener who who might be, uh, that might help inform what they need to work sure, on? Sure, sure. I think that I have a theory that you get the class you deserve. So if you're insane, I've seen actors, acting teachers who are insane. They have an insane class. They have people who are nuts. I'm a fairly centered guy, like I've been married forever and I've raised two kids and I'm a pretty, as actors go, pretty normal guy. I have a fairly centered kind of class. So, but I think people come, to answer the question, Tommy, people come to me now in a different way than they did when I started. When I started, it was like, well, let's just sort of hang up the shingle and put the word out and see what happens. And then I've I very quickly found my voice as a teacher. So people come to me now for that. Mm. And I, I have some proprietary things that I do. I'm not, I, I don't believe in any one methodology. I think they're like diets, you know, they all work uh, at some point for some people. It's not a question of, I'm pretty agnostic about that stuff. I think however you get to the truth, uh, just get to it because all roads lead to Rome and there's no one, I'm not invested in any proprietary unit. But one of the things that I do with every actor who comes into my class, and when I do, I've gone out and done some workshops now, which I love and would like to do more of, is I say, I need to see 
there's really three legs to the stool of this business, of this pursuit. One is your talent. So bring in something when you first come to my class that you're really good at. Bring in something that you absolutely killed. I don't know. I don't care if it's, I don't care what you do. I don't care if it's a, if it's a play, if it's from Shakespeare. I don't care if you come in and sing a song that you did in a musical. I don't care if you dance. Show me what you're, what you think you're good at. And then I get an idea of the, of the level and the passion of your talent. And that's their choice. And then I say, I, I, for the second part of it, I want you to bring in an exercise that I created. It has, it has a name that's quite obvious. The name of the exercise is, this is what I know. And I want to know what you know. I want to know. You don't need to memorize it. You don't need to. It can be written down. It's not therapy. It's not your deepest, darkest secrets. But I kind of want to know how you see the world. Like, this is what I know. I know that. I'm really enjoying doing this interview with Tommy Kendrick right now. I know that. I like my coffee really strong with one Splenda in the morning. I know that traffic sucks. I know, I know, I know. You start off with what's around you, with how you see the world, and then you ladder up into what you know about siblings and parents and love and obligations and guilt and disappointment, whatever it may be. Again, not therapy. I just want to know how you see things. So if I see your talent and I see how you what your worldview is, that gives me, at least to start, a very complete picture of who this person is. And that's how I approach it. So knowing what you, most people, it's different when you think you know what you know and you don't. But if you write it down and you have to speak it in front of people, mm -hmm. it's, it's different. And yeah. most people learn something. And I just want clarity about who you are. I always, I use, I use, I happen to like this actor very much and I use him as a reference frequently is, is Seth Rogen. I mean, Seth Rogen to me is hilarious. I mean, he, he can't, he's not going to do Hamlet somewhere, but he is a triumph of point of view and worldview. I know exactly what he thinks at every given moment. I know exactly how he's going to take something because he has just got this, this is a triumph of, of point of view over traditional actor skills. He's become a better actor, actually. He's, he's been quite good at a couple of films. But it's that, that's the extreme example of what I'm talking about. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody is on that end of the spectrum. But it's having, that's, that's the only differentiator we have in the film and television pursuit. In the theater, somebody comes backstage and they, they say, wow, you were, you were amazing. I didn't even see you up there. I just saw the character. You disappeared. Well, that's not what we want in film and television. We want more of you to appear. That's the differentiator. That's what makes stars. That's the, what makes actors. They build stories around. And, and I didn't see anyone teaching to that point of view. And so that's, I think people come to me now because they, they know that's my MO. But at first, they didn't. At first, I just got people off the street. Do, do you do you find any actors who find it at least initially difficult to buy in to that yes, because yes. because they think that being themselves is not enough or yeah. or it's not really acting unless they lose themselves in the part or something mysterious like that right i do i do have that sometimes not 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 very often because they kind of know before they you know sign up for the program that that's my approach but there's one actor that I have had in the past who's uh, 
I don't know what he's doing now. He was in my class for about a year, uh, but who comes from a very distinct culture. He's Hispanic. He's from Texas. And he was a very handsome, is a very handsome young guy. And uh, I had to say to him after about four months in class, I said, I don't know who you are by virtue of your work yet. And I said, you come from a very uh, intense, wonderful, interesting, rich cultural background. Mexican-American from Texas. I know, I know what your kitchen smells like. I know probably some of the names of your family members. I don't know who you are because you're not, you're, you're kind of like not going there. And that took him a while. He eventually did that. But it's like you have something that's rich and wonderful. Don't feel you have to be somebody else. Again, I'm speaking with Michael Laskin, who is uh, an actor, a teacher, and the author of this terrific book, The Authentic Actor. And one of the things I like best about the book is that it's spare. And I mean that in a very positive way. There, uh -huh. I did not have to read six pages to get three sentences of content. Each chapter well, many times is one or two pages. Yeah, and every, everything there is good. It's all meat. So it's almost like, uh, I didn't know if you've written screenplays or if, or if you had an editor who was used to editing narrative and screenplays <laughs> and paring it down to the important stuff, you know, but that's what's there is the important stuff. Oh, and I you. really like that about the book. Well, I was inspired. There's a book that if you haven't read it, Tommy, I would highly recommend it called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I have not. He's a writer. Uh, so it's about the war of being a creative person, the inner war of trying to like, you know, lead a creative life and be productive and, and move on in your career. It's, and it's, the war of art is like 120 pages. It's really spare. And you could open it up anywhere and pick up something, um, great. You don't have to read it in a linear fashion. And it's, it's a brilliant book. And when I, when the editor who I have, who I, I told her, I said that she she really wouldn't have happened without her. She was a great editor. But I said, she gave me that book and I said, oh, okay, I see how this could be. And I, I really kind of, I've been very open about it and I'm trying to get him to come to my class. He lives out here and he's a writer and he's, but I, it's, yeah, I, I, first of all, I'm very flattered that you picked up on that and noticed it. And that's exactly what I intended to do. Well, it was there, interesting because I don't know, I'm sorry to cut you off. I don't know yeah. how, I don't know how many or how much of the content actually appeared first as maybe a blog post or whatever. I know some of it did because, mm -hmm. I, because I went back and read some of your blog posts and I actually think that material that's in the book is better because it's, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's pared down some and it gets yes. right to the point. I just, and I, I could just tell the listener that if you want something that's, that you're going to be able to understand what the author is getting at and the point he's trying to make, this is a book you should pick up. And, and that goes for if you're just beginning, if you're thinking about becoming an actor, or if you're an old fart like me that's been doing yeah. it for 35 years, there's a lot here that, that can really uh, resonate with you. So, I mean, oh, you've done, done a great I job. That. No, I, I mean it. I mean, I, I just love the way you approach the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. You, sure. The book is The Authentic Actor. Yes. What do you mean by the authentic actor? How do you define an authentic actor? Okay, that's a great question. I will use this as an example, and I, and I don't mean the, the person I'm going to point out, the actor I'll point out is inauthentic. But for instance, and I, I did a TEDx talk, and I, I, I used 
Lincoln, uh, Spielberg's film as an example. Yeah. Because, and I was speaking to 900 people, most of which were not in the business, so they were, you know, civilians, so to speak. So I figured most of them would have seen Lincoln and would, it would be a good example. In Lincoln, you have um, a Daniel Day-Lewis doing this incredible transformative performance where he disappears and he becomes Lincoln and he looks like Lincoln and he walks like Lincoln and he talks like what he thinks Lincoln talked like. And, and it's astonishing. It's an astonishing performance. On the other hand, you have Tommy Lee Jones playing uh, Thaddeus Stevens. And Tommy Lee Jones has decided that Thaddeus Stevens is a Tommy Lee Jones part. He has not decided to research. I mean, I'm sure he researched. He's a very bright guy and a very good actor. But he played it like Tommy Lee Jones. Now, that's an authentic performance because it is in alignment with his identity, which is not to say that that uh, Day-Lewis's brilliant performance was inauthentic. It's just it's a transformative performance. And most people, unless you're Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep or Anthony Hopkins, most TV and film actors do not get the chance to be transformative. We are generally hired to be something akin to ourselves a more truthful, dynamic version of who we appear to be when we enter into any human transaction. When you walk into a room and you meet people, there's an immediate, uh, that's not show business, that's human business. That's just what we do. We evaluate that way. So I think the authentic actor is, is somebody who basically takes himself or herself as the material and you're, and the, and they are the prism through which we see the character. Now, that's a spectrum. A lot of people, are, are on various parts of that spectrum, and that's totally okay. And, and then the ability to do transformative work is, so, for me, when I worked on stage, that's the most fun, to try to be somebody completely different. But that's the stage, and it's a, it's a different it's a different deal. So I think that authentic actor, the authentic actor is, is, is something that is someone whose work is in alignment with himself and how he sees the world. But still, you have to have the requisite amount of skill and training, and and you know you have to have chops. Do you do coaching as well as your ongoing classes? I mean, do you have clients that come to you maybe yes. for an audition that they're going up for that kind of thing? Yeah, I do that all the time, and frankly, I really like it. It's it's a little like training a fighter pilot. You know, you kind of like uh, send them out there and hope they can do it. Um, I've had a number of fairly prominent coaching clients. I coached uh, R.J. Mitty all throughout Breaking Bad um, and a few others like that. And, uh, you know, the, the hard part of that is they're facing the same things you are. They have the same number of disappointments, even celebrities. Uh, and I've had, I can't tell you how many calls I've had from agents and managers who say, who get bad feedback from some actor who I coached. And I'll say, well, I, I don't walk in the room with him. You know, he was great when he was here, and he's a great actor. And I have no yeah. – the, fee- the feedback thing drives me nuts because it's usually meaningless. You know, if you get the same note five times in a row, he doesn't listen. She talks too much about herself, whatever. Then, yes, okay, let's pay attention to that. Usually it's stupid – feedback that's it's inane it's i don't even listen to it because you go in and do <laughs> really what's the point of yeah. hearing hearing it and they're all by the way all the agents and managers are obsessed with it and i don't even want to hear it i just i don't move on you know that he didn't get the role right. there's a million million reasons why you 
might not get there all that have nothing to do with what you did in that room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you do long distance? Then if you were uh, coaching someone on Breaking Bad, he probably was in I, New Mexico. Yeah, I did, or I did a lot of, with, with RJ in particular, I did a lot of stuff uh, via Skype, which is a hard, I, I do it. It's a hard thing to do. I knew him well enough and I'd worked with him enough in person that we had a shorthand and it was easier. If it's somebody I don't know, it's it's a little more challenging because you don't get the full, you don't get to look like, you, you don't get to see what, what the light looks like on their skin. You don't get to look in their eyes in the same way. But it's it's okay. It can, yeah. it's, it, it can be done. I, right. I do that frequently. Right. Information about coaching and about your classes and all that would be I'm sure on your website, michaelaskinstudio.com, is that correct? Yes, michaelaskinstudio.com. I'm in the midst of uh, redoing my website, but it's still it's still there. It'll, it'll, it'll look yeah. different in a few days. Well, it's it's a really good book. I am a big fan. Is there anything you wanted to talk about before we wrap this up? I've already had you here for 40, 45 minutes, and I don't want to abuse no, the time. No, it's fine. So. You know, the only thing I think I would want to talk about that I am not in – the discouragement business. There's a lot of discourage. There's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. If you know the odds, when you wake up in the morning, you probably wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, there've been. There's a. I've seen a lot of unlikely successes. I've had some unlikely successes. You probably have had as well. Sure. So I. I see. No. That's like a virus that spreads. If if you are, you know, I had a, I had a guy say to me, just tell him, tell him. Tell them how bad it is to discourage them. I say, I can't, I can't do that. It's just not in my nature. But I do think that I know, and you know, you spent 15 years out here. That's a long time. People still keep coming here. It's unbelievable. I get calls. I get referrals all the time, and I can't take on everybody. But it's this dream that is evergreen that just keeps happening. Yeah. And and I, I have to at my – I have a little bit of a you know moral dilemma. You you don't want to tell them how nasty and awful it, it actually can be because I, I just say that everything you've heard is true. It's all true. Yeah, it's basically all true. But there's a lot of other things that you will discover that you haven't heard that are wonderful and great and cool. I happen to like L.A. myself. Uh, you know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think it's a really dynamic, interesting place. I just believe in encouraging people and being. They're going to select themselves. Most of them will select themselves out at some point because they can't take it. Right. Or they can't, uh, or, or they're not cut out for it. I just had lunch with a former student of mine who just said, I'm, I, no, I'm done. I'm going back to be with my family. I don't want to do this anymore. And she was very talented. And I said, good for you. Figure out what's next. You know, it's, there's no shame in it. There's no, you know, it's, it's, it's people like us who had, a little bit of encouragement along the way. It's like little little morsels of food along the path. <laughs> you just keep going down the path. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, um, <laughs> I don't know if that's if that's foolhardy or it just is what it is. I, I mean, don't know. You, you know, I think if it's I think if it's something that's in your soul that you really you know you just you just want to keep doing it. You just keep doing it. And I think so. Um, you know, and and if it and if that's the case, why would you do anything else? Even even when it gets tough. And I've had moments when I've thought, you know, I've I've had a few conversations with God. You know, of what in the world? You know, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And if so, why isn't it going better? You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. No no. I, but, and but, I have uh, a... yeah. I have a play that I'm, I haven't been on stage for a while, and I have a play that a friend of mine wrote. 
it's a one-person play. It's not really a one-man show. It's a one-person play that I just scares the life out of me. It's like an hour and a half of one guy talking. Oh, wow. And it's brilliant. And I'm thinking, I have to do this. Yeah. Because this is what I kind of wanted to do. This is being an artist. And this is something that while I'm still able to walk and talk and put two sentences together and it, but it's terrifying. It's the, the prospect. I keep pushing it off because I'm scared of it, but it'll happen. It'll yeah. Happen. Oh, good. So. Well, you know, you touch on uh, the last thing I'll sort of touch on. I'm a little, a little rambling here, but I wanted to talk about this as well because you talk about it in the book and I talk about it a lot on the podcast and that's not waiting for someone to give you permission to be an actor. And, <laughs> I, and I think in the time in which we live, it's so wonderful that because of technology being the way it is, and if that if you ever had to do that, and I guess you could argue you didn't, I know that I've done that in the past, waited for my agent to call, waited for someone to invite me to, to act. Sure. Now sure. there's so much equipment available, you know, whether it's a DSLR, Anybody, yeah. you can get out and create something, content, scenes, Absolutely. short films, work on your craft. You don't have to wait for someone to allow you to do that. And I think it's really important for younger actors or even people my age and your age to keep doing those things because it's creatively stimulating. Well, I'll tell you one very quick story and then I have to, I have to wrap up because yeah. we're, we're going to be somewhere. But there was a young man who who's in my class who came to my class about a year and a half ago. And I noticed immediately that he was very talented. It's like, okay, this, there's talented people. This guy's like off the charts. He's superb at everything he does. You can't take your eyes off him. And after about three months in my class, he said, uh, which he said, would you mind if I sent you my reel just to look at it? I said, yeah, of course, send it. And I, he's just had just gotten out of the USC theater school. He's from, he's from Texas, actually. He had gotten out of the USC theater school, which he hated, which he thought was terrible, um, which is funny to me, yeah. but he, um, I'm thinking, how good could this reel be? Like, what's on it? I mean, he's 22. He's, he's a baby, and, and he hasn't done very much. He sends me this reel, Tommy, and it's freaking brilliant. Everything <laughs> in it is so good. Yeah. And I said, what? I said, where did this, what are these? Where did you get these? What, what are these projects? Everything looked like it was from, like, a great film or something. He said, oh, that's, that's just stuff I wrote and directed. It's, like, very casual. Well, I mean, come on. So I, I start delving further, and he, he just made a short film that went to the Cannes Film Festival. He's won several of the 48-hour film project awards. He is just amazing. at He's an amazing actor, and he would like to not have to make his own films. Of course, he just wants to be hired. But I thought that is what a, what a lesson for me to go to school on him, for me yeah. to really learn from this young man and how enterprising and and original his work was not only as an actor but as a filmmaker so right. absolutely anybody with an idea and an iphone can create something yep most of it is awful but you <laughs> yeah. get something great that's right that's right well michael i'll let you go uh, again talking to michael laskin actor teacher and author of the authentic actor the art and business of being yourself it's been a real treat to get to talk to you i did indeed love the book a lot and uh, appreciate you coming on Actors Talk Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tommy. Be well. And you. Take care. 
I told you at the top, I wanted to um, just say a little something here at the end. And, and it's sort of a sad note, actually, and not sort of a sad note. It's a very sad note. My dear friend and mentor, Gregory Walcott, that we actually talk about in the episode, Greg passed away. Uh, March 20th of this year. And it's, you know, it leaves a real hole in my heart and in the hearts of his family members, obviously, and of many, many, many people around the world. Greg touched a lot of people in his life. It's appropriate that I mentioned him within the context of being an authentic actor because he was an authentic actor. More than that, he was an authentic human being, one of the kindest, nicest, most wonderful people that I have ever known. He helped me immensely both in my acting career and in my personal life, and he will be someone that I will miss sorely, but that I'm so grateful to have encountered. If I got nothing else out of my 15 years in Los Angeles, the friendship that I made with Greg Walcott and with all of his family made every struggle, every roadblock, every bump in the road more, 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 more than worthwhile. God bless you, Gregory Walcott. Rest in peace. That's a wrap.